This weekend, get to Kohl's and take an extra 15% off. Save on the Ninja Foodi Grill, now just $279.99. Take 50% off all Serta bedding. Get up to 40% off Sonoma Bath and so much more. Plus, get a little more for your wallet with Kohl's Cash. Plus, fast and free store pickup. Let the gifting start for those close to your heart. Shop Kohl's and Kohl's.com. Select styles. Offers valid October 9th through 18th. 15% off with promo code LEAVES. Some exclusions apply. See store or Kohl's.com for details. Pretzels. Look. What, Chips? Look. Who's the new guy? Fanta. I think he's looking at me. Uh, Pretzels, you got it twisted. He's looking at me. Stop being salty, Chips. We both got a chance. Shh, he's coming over. Ladies. Hi. And hello to you. Back at you, handsome. Fanta picked beef jerky? Mm, girl, we're gonna be here a while. Oh, Congressman Mark Meadows was on the show today, and I can't begin to tell you how incredible this interview was. I mean, he was just dropping bombs left and right. He is probably one of my favorite congressmen, um, always has a smile on his face, always telling a joke. And then when he gets serious, boy, does he get serious. He is somebody who has defended our liberty and freedom. He was the very top uh, congressman, along with Devin Nunez, Jim Jordan, and others who were really the very first, the very beginning of going after what was happening with the Spygate scandal, the Russia hoax scandal that you know, listeners, we have spent the last three years unraveling. Um, I remember Sean Hannity used to call it the onion, unraveling, you know, the layers of the onion or peeling back the layers of the onion. I would say it's like a ball of yarn. It just never stops. There is no end. An infinity ball of yarn is what it is. It's so crazy. Um, But on today's show, I mean, you have to listen to the show because Mark Meadows discusses everything from John Durham and William Barr and what he expects to some big breaking news about what just happened in the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court. That is the most secret court of the land. And the recent news that the uh, court, uh, the presiding judge of the court, actually selected a uh, what appears to be an apologist for the FBI an apologist for the FBI, uh, all of their malfeasance, altering FISA court documents, um, and uh, to spy on a Trump campaign official, Carter Page, which you know we had on the show recently, um, who is uh, gearing up for some major lawsuits. So Mark Meadows breaks some really big news on that. Uh, First, though, I want to go to a pretty funny moment on Twitter. And actually, that was via your president, Donald J. Trump. Now, there was news today. Yes, another Democrat has dropped out of the presidential uh, race, and that is Cory Booker. Uh, Actually, I'm not surprised because he uh, was not expected to speak at the debate. Um, So there was no surprise there that Cory Booker was going to back out. He just didn't have the support. But I was coming into the studio today, and as I walked in, I see this tweet from President Trump, and I about lost it because I looked down really quick, and I was just like, whoa. He says, really big breaking news. And then in parentheses, kidding. (laughs) Of course. He says, Booker, 
who was in zero polling territory, just dropped out of the Democrat presidential primary race. Now I can rest easy tonight. I was so concerned that I would someday have to go head to head with him. President Trump. Not nice. <laughs> shots fired. But shots fired. I know, Adam, huh? But funny, but real funny. Um, Okay, that's politics in Washington, D.C. You know, people are tough. They're throwing things at each other. You know, so I think President Trump realizes that he's probably going to be debating Joe Biden. Imagine that. President Trump versus Joe Biden, corner to corner, coming out. I'm here for that. I am, too. Are you, Jenny? I mean, what do you think? Um, I think it's going to be really entertaining for the American people because every time Joe Biden opens his mouth, it's like, I don't even know what he's saying. And it's kind of just it's it's a joke. It's comedy. It's really entertaining. But it's not I don't know. I don't think it's going to be anything more than just a comedy routine. Oh, so, yeah, I know. I'm wondering, you know, like how he's going to dodge some of the things that I know President Trump's going to throw at him. I mean, he's certainly going to talk about Ukraine. We know that. Um, Hunter Biden, we know that. Wonder if he'll bring up the grandchild. Who knows? You know, this is President Trump's territory. He knows how to play an audience. He knows how to uh, direct really hard hitting or sometimes low blows to an opponent. And if they're not quick on their feet, uh, that could be a significant problem. If he's anything like Congressman Meadows was in this interview coming up here, he's going to be just fine, just dropping haymakers everywhere. Oh, I know. I know. And he usually is. And also, Congressman Meadows talks a little bit about his future. We know he's not going to be in Congress for much longer. So where is he going? Could it be 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue? You guys will have to listen and learn. So I am going to talk a little bit about the developments in the news today because there's been so much happening over the past week, um, particularly with Iran. I want to play a clip here. This is President Trump on Laura Ingram's show actually talking about Iran. It was a great one-on-one interview. She delved really deep into this subject. And uh, here's what President Trump had to say. This sound comes courtesy Fox News. Are you worried that the Democrats can't be trusted with classified information? Because that's kind of what it sounded like when Pence gave that interview and talked about sources and methods the other day. I am worried about it. Certainly, I am worried about it. Can you imagine? Here we are, split-second timing, executed like nobody's seen in many, many years on Soleimani. Can you imagine? They want us to call up and speak to crooked, corrupt politician Adam Schiff. Oh, Adam, we have somebody that we've been trying to get for a long time. We have a shot at him right now. Uh, Could we meet so that we can get your approval, Adam Schiff? And he'd say, well, let's do it in a couple of days. Oh, okay, let's meet in a couple. It doesn't work that way. (laughs) Yeah, I get it. If you know Washington, D.C., you'll get it, too. I mean, the minute you never do that. Uh, The executive office, the national security apparatus, the CIA, usually, almost always, never goes and reports to Congress when there is actually actionable intelligence and they are targeting a terrorist, right? Uh, You don't go and seek approval and have to go through meeting after meeting after meeting. I want you to think about this. Uh, Because I know the listeners out there, I know you understand this. A lot of you are in the military. A lot of you are law enforcement officials. And for those of you that don't, this is what happens. They get a report 
from the ground saying, we have actionable intelligence. That means Soleimani embarked on a plane. He got on a plane. He is leaving Tehran. He is coming into the Baghdad airport in Iraq. Now they've got to make sure that he is on that plane when he steps off that plane. That means every asset has to be in place. This is not like something you prepare months in advance. Soleimani moves quickly. He doesn't advertise where he's going all the time. And we may have sources inside Tehran, sources that are providing information, but that doesn't always necessarily mean that that information is accurate. So they have to be able to verify it. And I mean, verify it to the point where they actually see Qasem Soleimani on the ground with whatever ISR capabilities we have or intelligence assets. That means it has to be validated before the president can order the strike. Imagine what needs to happen for that to take place. You can't just go to Congress and say, you know, hey, Chairman Adam Schiff, uh, we think Soleimani might be uh, leaving Tehran in a week or so. He might be on the ground in Baghdad. Could we get your permission to target him? Uh, Yeah, he's planning on attacking four embassies. Guess what? Adam Schiff would be the first person to say, oh, really? Well, yeah, show me the evidence. And now we got to take it to Nancy. Now we've got to go to the Gang of Eight and talk to everybody there. By the time you get through all of that, uh, Soleimani would have been in Baghdad. He would have planned the attack. All of the embassies would have blown up. And then guess what? President Trump would be at fault. Because then everybody would turn on him and say, why didn't you do something? You knew about this because you know that leaks would eventually spill out from the intelligence community because people would be angry. Look, no other president took this decisive action in the past. They were all scared from the Bush administration to President Obama. How is Iran going to act? react? How is Tehran going to react to this? You know, the government, will they target us? Will uh, will will the Middle East implode? It's already imploding. There's already a serious problem. The Iranian government has spread across the Middle East like wildfire. They have gone into Iraq. We know there are a ton of sympathizers within the Iraqi government. The Kurdish people are actually very concerned about what's happened over the last years. Our U.S. intelligence has been sending reports back ever since the Arab Spring and ever since the Civil War started in Syria. That was the beginning of the beginning. We saw Iranian influence inside Syria like we've never seen before. We saw Russian influence inside Syria like we've never seen before. And remember what borders Syria, our greatest ally in the Middle East, Israel. And they line people up. The Israeli intelligence service, the Israeli Mossad, others saw what was going on. They saw what was happening inside Syria. They saw the Iranians building up their forces and their militias. Also in Lebanon, with Hezbollah. What about Hamas? Qassam Soleimani was a terrorist. Everybody brings up the 600 soldiers, God rest their souls, you know, that lost their lives at the, directly at the hands of Soleimani in Iraq. But there were so many more. In Afghanistan, the the Quds Force and the IRGC were offering basically classes on how to big bigger and be- better bombs. General David Petraeus eventually testified to this. Eventually, the former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Admiral Mullen, testified to that. This has been an ongoing battle with Iran's proxy militias 
all across the globe, in South America, in Central America, in Mexico. Don't believe me? Read Joe B. Warwick's report on it from the Washington Post several years ago about Iranian influence in Mexico and what's been going on. That's our neighbor, folks. So there was a real reason to target Soleimani. And what about the planned assassination of a Saudi ambassador here in Washington, D.C.? That was thwarted by great work, by the way, by the DEA and the Department of Justice and the FBI. This was a real terrorist and a real threat to our nation. I'm not going to go on and on about that. Um, We are going to be talking impeachment uh, with Congressman Meadows. I know you are going to be thrilled to hear what he had to say to me. We talk about Soleimani. We discuss, more importantly, what's happening in the Fisk Court. And I don't know how much you all know about what's going on and and the role that Congressman Meadows played uh, in this you know, in uh, investigation into the Russia hoax and into Spygate and, you know, the work that he's done both across the aisle with his Democratic colleagues. It's going to be very hard to see him leave Congress, but I'm sure he's doing it for a reason. You got to listen, listen to his interview and and where he's going. Uh, so it's very important that you listen to the interview um, and and what he's done for our country. Let me ask Jenny. Jenny, do you What do you think about Congressman Meadows? Is there anything that you know about him? Is there anything you want to know about him? What are you hoping to get from this? Well, I've been lucky enough to meet him on several occasions, Um, you know, in in Fox, in the green room. He's a really great guy. He's um, he has just a great personality, but also um, he has a very important role in Congress and his work is really important. He's um, I believe he's very genuine in his work, um, and he's also very passionate about the president's agenda. So I think when it comes to impeachment, he's working hard to make sure that um, the Democrats don't hijack this and use it as a political game. I, I agree. He is one of the most influential members of Congress. Um, Adam, any questions? No, no questions. I just I think our listeners are going to really enjoy this interview. I certainly did. It was refreshing. He's kind of speaking from both ends of the aisle. And in short, palatable bites. This is really a a fun one for you guys, and I I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, in 2015, before I bring him on, 2015, Meadows co-founded the House Freedom Caucus. I mean, this is probably one of the most influential groups on the conservative side. It consists of basically about 40 members of Congress, and they're dedicated to giving a voice to those who feel forgotten in their government. And let's play this interview with Congressman Mark Meadows now. Congressman Mark Meadows, are you here on the line? I am. I am so excited to have you on the show tonight because it's so important for all of us to understand. Here is, for our listeners out there, Congressman Meadows is really a staple uh, on the Hill. He is somebody who effectively made changes. He is not only an incredible congressman and representative of his district, but he was the very beginning and a co-founder of the Freedom Caucus in 2015. He has been at the forefront of getting the truth out to the American people about what happened and what transpired during the whole Spygate Russia hoax, which, by the way, is still under investigation by Attorney General William Barr and John Durham. And he's also a friend and he's somebody... And if you don't know this, he is somebody who is friends with people on both sides of the aisle. I mean, not just not just with the people that he meets, but he has earned the respect of so many people, including Democrats. And I wish we could get back to that day when 
Democrats and Republicans can talk together and work out issues together, and it isn't so divisive. Uh, I don't believe we're there yet, but I did want to give you a moment, Congressman, to talk about your good friend um, and the passing of Elijah Cummings, who was a Democrat, because I think that's important for our listeners to understand that you were very close to Elijah Cummings, and he was a very important part of history, of our Congress, and really stood for so many rights and uh, and and made so many incredible changes uh, for the black community. He was really, a, I think for America in general, uh, a vocal part of Congress and somebody who you respected quite a bit. Well, he, he, his passing obviously was, was very difficult. He, he was not only a, a friend, but a dear friend. And uh, listen, he was a worthy adversary. Uh, and as Elijah used to say, and I've said often, we might not agree on 95% of the things that uh, we talked about. He came at it from uh, uh, his constituency in Baltimore. I came at it from my conservative constituency in Western North Carolina. But there were those things that we could uh, uh, actually uh, agree upon lowering prescription drug prices was one of those we were working on that right at the time of of his passing but but you're right we we need to get back to where at least there is civil discourse one of the one of the things that we're seeing it we're seeing it now with this impeachment we're seeing it with uh the taking out of an, an Iranian uh, terrorist uh, where everything that the other side does is bad and awful, and uh, a lot of this is directed towards the president. And uh, fortunately for Elijah and I, we were able to overcome that. And I, I do have good relationships with other people, uh, but I think the key for me is looking for the element of truth in every argument. Uh, and you were very kind to give me an intro like that, but let me shout back at you, Sarah. When we were looking to get to the truth, on the whole Russia gate, the Russia conspiracy, where Adam Schiff was talking about what the president supposedly did, and it was not based on facts. There were only a few reporters that were willing to get in there and dig deep, and you certainly uh, were you, you were on the A list. And I just want to say thank you for bringing the truth to the American people. I don't do podcasts very often, and so the reason I'm doing that is out of my respect for you and, and your willingness to get to the truth. Well, I can't thank you enough. I, I, you know, I feel like I'm just doing my job. Every morning I get up, I think, what am I going to do next? What are we going to deliver to the American people? How do we get the truth to them? And you brought up something so important, Congressman Meadows. You know, this division, where do you think this division comes from? Where do you think this is emanating from that it has gotten so bad? You know, I do not believe... Uh, and I know the left tried to push this division, saying this was all President Trump's fault. But we can t completely see that even before he became president, uh, they were working on this divide. There were people that were so opposed to him and to the American people's vote. Uh, that it became ingrained in our media. Uh, we saw the spreading of disinformation. You and I both know that from the long, hard last three years of investigating the Russia hoax. Where did this emanate from and how do we resolve it? 
Well, part of it comes from uh, being intentionally uh, disseminating uh, false information from individuals who intentionally disseminate false information. Uh, but the vast majority of it comes from ignorance. It comes from uh, four or five people spreading a false story, and then the rest of members of Congress and media and others latch onto it as if it's truth without doing uh, their homework to find out what is true and what's not. Even the fact checkers, what probably drives me crazy than anything else is that we have the fact checkers checking on the work of people that they actually work for. Uh, and, and so predominantly when you have a fact checker that works for the Washington Post evaluating whether the Washington Post is correct or not, uh, that doesn't work well. And, no, and, I, and I say that there's a few fact checkers out there that are, quote, nonpartisan and, and supported uh, by uh, – by groups that would suggest that they're nonpartisan. But even when you look at their funders and the people that they evaluate, time and time again, they have a slant one way or another. And so um, this is, did not start with Donald Trump. It will not end with Donald Trump. Uh, if that were the case, we would we would certainly find uh, – that all of a sudden, all of this animosity that happens here in Washington, D.C. would go away. But uh, I, I can tell you that the vast majority of my colleagues here, um, they just really don't do their homework when it comes to reading the fine print of the evidence that's there. They will take a few talking points and run with it. Um, and, and that's why we need credible journalists who are willing to dig deep. And if they're willing to do that, I have all the faith in the world that uh, not only will this president be exonerated, but, uh, but future presidents will uh, get a fairer shake when it comes to uh, the truth coming out in the media. So important, yes, and it's so important to our Democratic Republic that we do have that medium out there. Journalists are such an important part of the fabric of our nation and getting the truth out to the American people. I'm going to jump really quick because I want to talk a little bit about uh, what's been happening in the FISA court. Now, just to lay it out for our listeners out there, we have, you know, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court. It's the most secret court in the land. It is actually at the center of one of the biggest, um, I think, uh, politically historic uh, controversies in modern politics because we have discovered through uh, Inspector General Michael Horowitz's report that the FBI, particularly an FBI agent, uh, several FBI agents, uh, changed and altered applications that they sent to the court to spy on Carter Page. Carter Page, just for everyone out there who's listening who might not know who he is, I think most of you do, was a short-time volunteer, foreign policy volunteer for the Trump campaign, and he was uh, actively spied on by the FBI for a long period of time. Uh, there were actually four applications, I believe one, ma one main application and three renewals on spying on him uh, from 2016 through 2017. Well, now that this is out, everybody knows the truth. The FISA court finally spoke up. This is the FISC. Uh, they wanted the FBI to review procedures. They were uh, chiding the FBI. Actually, it was uh, Rosemary Collier who used to preside over the FISA court. But some huge news has happened, and it happened just recently. And the new FISA court judge, James Boesberg, 
basically appointed, and he's an Obama appointee, but he appointed this man named David Chris to review the FBI's proposed changes to its surveillance application process. But you gotta know this. David Chris basically went after the Republicans. He actually, um, in both tweets online and in a story he published in the Lawfare blog, he supported the spying of Carter Page. He defended the FBI. He is somebody who is actively basically opposed to um, then he was chairman, Devin Nunez's investigation into the FISA. He went after Devin Nunez's report. He, in fact, even said that Devin Nunez should be charged uh, with obstruction. So this is just complete insanity. And for you, uh, Congressman, I want to play a little clip right now of Devin Nunez. Uh, This was, I believe he was on Fox and Friends in the morning talking about the appointment of David Chris. Look, I think Republicans are going to have to take a hard look uh, at, at how we're going to move forward uh, and to continue to protect the American homeland, uh, but not with a process like this. Get rid of them. Don't, don't let it stand. Just, just, I mean, can, who put them there? I mean, the well, FISA we, we court put them we, there, so someone's yeah, got to get rid of them. Get, it's not going to work. We, well, we can't get rid of them. I mean, look, you have a new judge that I, I don't know this new judge. Maybe he's fine. He's an Obama judge that then picks the very worst person or one of the worst people that you could find in the swamp. What do you have to say for this, Congressman? Can you imagine? <laughs> Is this a whitewash? What's going on? Well, I know, uh, I know of David Chris. And, and when you look at his Twitter feed, when you look at the comments he's made, not only did he go after uh, Devin Nunes, but he's gone after the president. Uh, you know, he's a contributor for uh, MSNBC at times. And so when you when you look at at just his politics, there's no way that he can fix the problem if he doesn't even acknowledge that there is a problem. And I, and I, and I say that as recent as the, the most recent IG report when Inspector General Horowitz came out and said there was a problem. You know, he downplayed it. Well, you and I both know about the abuses that took uh, took place. We knew it before the IG's report came out. Uh, we also know that there's more that will come out as John Durham continues his investigation. But this is a critical time. I can tell you that we, uh, a few of us, not only are appealing this to uh, the judge that has now taken over the FISA process, but we are also looking at this when it comes to renewing uh, the FISA process within Congress. Uh, there's, a, there's a renewal of a section of the, the FISA court that is coming up. I'll be talking to uh, Chairman Goodlatte, who used to be the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, is now working from the outside, has retired. Uh, we're working very actively to work with the administration to make sure that no American not just the President of the United States, not Carter Page, not just a few people, but no American civil liberties are actually infringed upon, and that's what happened here. Not only did it happen, but it happened deliberately, and until we fix it, uh, you know, all Americans are at risk. The renewal comes in March, so we know that it's going to be before Congress, whether or not there's this FISA renewal, this part of the FISA process will be renewed. Uh Could it possibly end up that it is not renewed, that the FISA is not renewed? I know Devin Nunes has said um, over and over again he'd rather see the court dismantled if it's not reformed. 
And that's pretty serious coming from somebody who actually and actively supported the FISA process. Right. Uh, Devin, because of his position on the Intel Committee, has seen it as a useful tool to go after the bad guys. We need to keep it as a useful tool to go after the bad guys, but we cannot allow it to go after people that uh, are American citizens and that are affiliated with a campaign that honestly we now know, and we knew then, actually the FBI knew back then, that Carter Page was not at risk because Carter Page's involvement in other areas of intel gathering. And so uh, they they did this as a political tool, and so I am uh, against renewing it without major reforms. And I'm not talking about changing a dot or a tittle. I'm talking about major reforms that allows for the civil liberties to be protected and those civil liberties to have an advocate that uh, will be transparent. And uh, I think we will see that. I know the president is on board with that. Uh, nothing brings you around like being the subject of, of misdeeds here in Washington, D.C. Well, especially since we realized uh, during the process of investigating, I think both Congress realized this. I know I realized this. Other journalists, very few journalists that were on this case realized that the system had been basically weaponized for political purposes. That's something that we never expected to see here in the United States of America. That's something that happens in banana republics, in other countries where their intelligence apparatus or their military apparatus or even their federal law enforcement apparatus is utilized against a political party or against the people. This was something that was never supposed to happen here. And I want to ask you about Judge um, you know, the selection of David Chris by this judge, uh, it appears that nobody can do anything. Uh, you talked about appealing this. Uh, if the judge wants David Chris to be the guy to review this application, and I find it hard to believe that an intelligent judge that heads the FISA court had no idea that this guy was biased. I mean, look, it, it appears to be, to a lot of Americans, to be some kind of a whitewash, just sweep it under the rug, let's move on. Uh, what can you do as far as the appeal that you talked about? Well, here, here's uh, two things. One is I'm sure the judge was given information that says that that David Chris has national security experience and he's familiar with this, and and he he has not had to live it like Devin Nunes and Jim Jordan and myself have had to live it for the last three years with everybody critiquing every word we said. And I can tell you, when when I put something out, I always have evidence to back it up, and uh, and I can I can say this: I I am concerned because of the message it sends. I am not too concerned because ultimately we have a FBI director and, that reports uh, to a uh, attorney general that reports to the president of the United States who. They understand that it has to get right, and I have uh, great faith in Attorney General Barr, and so even if this guy is overseeing it, uh, I don't know that he will be the only one checking off on the authentication of what a legitimate process is. Congress should weigh in, will weigh in, uh, and I can tell you we're sending a letter to follow up on some of the concerns we have, not just with this individual but with some of the process that we believe needs to take place. For example, 
if there is going to be any future president's campaign that are surveilled, two things must happen. There must be a defensive briefing. In this case, there was not. There must be a defensive briefing that says, hey, by the way, you you have this person on your campaign. They're meeting with uh, some unsavory characters. You may want to be aware of it. So there has to be a defensive briefing. The second thing that there has to be is that if we're going to open up and actually surveil on a presidential campaign, Eight people, the gang of eight, must be notified. That way you have Democrats and Republicans both agreeing that it is appropriate. I think that if that had been the standard here, this wouldn't have been done. Carter Page FISA would never have been applied for and approved. Wow, that's incredible news. That's huge news, and I can't wait to see what happens after the letter actually gets sent, what's the follow-up, how they're going to handle this. I do have a lot of faith in Attorney General William Barr, and I'm only going to ask this quickly, and you don't have to answer it, uh, because I know the president has come out and spoken about uh, he was not very enthused with the response from FBI Director Christopher Wray and how he discussed this as just errors in these FISA applications. Uh, there's a lot of talk that maybe Christopher Wray uh, may not last as FBI director. We don't know that yet. Uh, what are your thoughts on Christopher Ray and the FBI, if you don't mind talking about it? Well, uh, Director Ray needs to make sure that he takes this as serious as some of the members of Congress have taken it and not discount some of the allegations that have been put forth. I can tell you that uh, when Jim Jordan and I said that not only was there errors, but there was an there were intentional wrongdoings on on behalf of some at the FBI. Uh, that needs to be taken seriously. Not only can uh, that is that an allegation, but it's something that we can prove. The second part of that, I think that. Uh, uh, Director Ray understands that he has to get it right. We have one time to get it right, because if he does not get it right, it will not be re uh, renewed. And one of the tools that he has in his toolbox will ultimately go away. Uh, this is one of the areas where conservatives and progressives come together in protecting civil liberties. And uh, I can tell you that there are a lot on the left that would agree with this past chairman of the Freedom Caucus when it comes to protecting uh, our civil rights and our civil liberties. That's that's incredible. That is true. And I think for the FBI, as well as for our Defense Department and others who utilize those tools uh, across the board with all of our intelligence agencies, uh, that would be a big tool to lose. Um, but it's certainly one that should be removed if they're not willing to utilize it the right way and protect the American people and their own civil liberties and the Constitution of the United States, particularly the Fourth Amendment, you know, for unreasonable search and seizures. We don't want to see that abused in any other way. I wanted to ask you about Attorney General William Barr. Everybody is very excited about Attorney General William Barr. They're very excited about uh, his appointment of Prosecutor John Durham. We know that he, they are conducting an extensive criminal probe. We know they've traveled all over the world. Uh, but there are a lot of people that are saying, look, if Barr and Durham's feet aren't held to the fire, uh, they may just sweep this under the rug. I'm not one of them, but I hear it out there. There's a lot of Americans that are really disappointed, particularly after John Huber came out and basically it looked like his entire investigation was a dud because uh, he interviewed no one. Uh, what are your thoughts on the future of this uh, criminal probe? Well, I can tell you, William Barr and John Durham are not, uh, they're not Mr. Huber. 
uh, Mr. Huber was never serious about his investigation. Uh, I can I can tell you that uh, we knew when he was appointed uh, under Jeff Sessions and Rod Rosenstein when he was appointed. It was more just appointed to get Jim Jordan and Mark Meadows off the back of uh, the Department of Justice. So we've never uh, seen that as as something that would provide much fruit. Uh, I have a totally different opinion when it comes to uh, A.G. Barr and John Durham. Uh, they're more of a, a Jack Webb kind of approach. Just the facts, ma'am, they're going to go with that. And the fact that uh, that William Barr has been willing to speak up and take on uh, the mainstream media, you know, when he mentions the S word on spying, when he mentions uh, some of the allegations that have been made, I respect that. And I'm, I, I, the good thing is he's got great credibility with me. I know he's not trying to sweep things under the rug. Uh, I can't say that for everyone uh, at the Department of, of Justice and FBI, uh, although the vast majority, 99% of them, are wonderful public servants. Uh, there's still a remnant of some who uh, believe that they ha have done and are doing the right thing as it relates to some of these investigative uh, techniques. Well, it's a criminal probe, so it is very serious. I mean, there are a lot of people that are right now being closely examined by John Durham, including, I mean, as far as John Brennan, the former CIA director, I have been told that Durham has been interviewing people within the CIA as well as people within uh, the Pentagon at the Office of Net Assessment. Uh, so his probe has expanded far beyond just the FBI. We know that Andrew McCabe, who was the former deputy director who was actually fired uh, by Jeff Sessions, um, is still being looked into. He lied multiple times to investigators. Uh, there's Peter Strzok. There's Joe Pienka. There's a lot of names out there. I'm throwing them at you. But do you think uh, there will be prosecutions in the end of this? Well, I do think that potentially there could be prosecutions, but what I believe will happen more uh, more than prosecutions, and, and this is not going to necessarily be wonderful news to your listeners, but I think what will happen is, is they will see a lot of wrongdoing as it relates to uh, the spirit of the law, but they may not see as much criminal activity. And especially when you get into the intelligence side of things, uh, you know, there's a lot of justifications for why we look at this, and and it, it is second and third and fourth hand information. And so, actually, try tracking it down and and having enough for a criminal prosecution might be difficult. I do think at a minimum uh, there will be accountability. There will be uh, a, a stinging rebuke uh, on the way that things were done, more so than what we saw come out of the Horowitz IG report. That's the tip of the iceberg, and it will be uh, certainly a lot more solid than even that. Oh, I, I'm looking forward to that day. And you're right, I think some listeners might be disappointed. They're they're hoping for a lot more, but I think getting the facts out to the American people, and who knows how many people may end up being prosecuted or indicted, 
uh, in Durham's probe. We still don't know. I've talked to people who said this is just the tip of the iceberg. What Durham is discovering is far more extensive than what we ever thought. I want to jump to impeachment really quick because I want you to hear this, uh, you know, a statement by Nancy Pelosi. Uh, we know that she's kind of lost her battle against Mitch McConnell and uh, is finally going to turn o- turn over those articles of impeachment. But I want to hear I want you to hear what she had to say about this. I think she's on ABC with George Stephanopoulos. Second thoughts about holding on for three weeks? No, no, no. We feel that it was a very has produced a very positive result in terms of uh, additional uh, uh, emails and unredacted information that has come forward. Uh, that McC- uh, Bolton has said that he would testify if subpoenaed by the Senate. Uh, other information that has come forward. No, and more importantly, raising the profile of the fact that we need to have witnesses and documentation and if we don't that is a (laughs) cover-up that's a (laughs) cover-up yeah well i can tell you that's a swing and a miss sarah that's a swing and a miss i mean listen she put it she she actually held these uh documents up it was political the reason uh, the whole reason she did it was political in nature uh i can also say this that as she held them up uh, the American people started to see what we've been seeing for months. There's nothing serious about this impeachment. It's not based on fact. It's based on politics. This is a 2020 impeachment designed to inflict harm on the president of the United States in the hopes that it will affect the ballot box. It will not. Uh, you know, to suggest that her holding it up for three weeks actually uh makes her case stronger, just shows how very weak her case is. She has no case. It's not. It's based on hearsay and hurt feelings. Remember that. Hearsay and hurt feelings is why we're impeaching the President of the United States. It's time that we address this, uh, you know, and exonerate uh, the, the President, acquit him in the Senate, and get on to doing what the American people care about, which are things that affect their daily lives. Well, I couldn't agree more with you on that because I I absolutely believe (laughs) that, you know, Nancy just had no other options now. I mean, she was trapped in a corner, you know, as she was pushed into impeachment by the squad, by Adam Schiff. Then she was trapped in a corner. Then she didn't know what to do. It was a hit and a miss. Uh, But you brought up President Trump. And there is a rumor floating around Washington, D.C., that the reason you're not going to be heading back to Congress is because you may be heading to the White House. Can you talk about that? <laughs> well, I mean, everybody would love for me to talk about that. I'm not going to talk about that. Oh. You're a good journalist to be able to ask it. <laughs> I can tell you this. I'm going to fight for the president, uh, whether it is here in Congress in my remaining days here in Congress or anywhere else, whether that is at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue or whether it is uh, just helping from the outside. I can tell you that uh, nothing is definitive other than uh, two things. I I support this president uh, wholeheartedly. He has accomplished more in three years than any president in modern time. I also believe that it's critical that we get him reelected. I'm going to be singularly focused on making sure that that happens. And uh, certainly I'll be glad to come back if and when uh, there's a decision on where I may, might be going next. Oh, I would love to have you back on the show so you can make that big announcement because here at the Sarah Carter (laughs) Show, we want to break news. That's what we do. And I'm not going to let you go until I 
I ask you a question because I know this is important to you. The president's decision to decisive decision on actionable intelligence to target Qasem Soleimani before he conducted a very dangerous and what we believe is very big operation against this country um, is incredible. And now the people in Iran are outside. I mean, all night long, I'm seeing Twitter feeds coming from Iran. I'm talking to sources in the region, and they're saying that, you know, the people of Iran, the youth of Iran are standing up to uh, this totalitarian regime. They're tearing down posters of Soleimani. They refuse to step on the American flag. This is about principle, our president acting on principle and spreading that across the globe through his own actions. But I wanted you to talk a little bit about that because this was such an important decision on his part, and I'm sure a very serious decision. He must have deliberated this for, for a bit before he made this decision. Um, so what do you think about that? Yeah, he made the right decision at the right time. Listen, uh, General Soleimani was uh, was a terrorist. He was identified as a terrorist in 2018. So this was not like all of a sudden we identify him as a terrorist and we take him out in Baghdad. He's He's uh, been responsible for over 600 American deaths. And my question to my Democrat colleagues, how many American deaths does someone have to be responsible for? before we take them out. So even if there was not the other planned activity against U.S. interest in the region, whether it be embassies or military bases or the like, even if that had not happened, the president was certainly within his rights and I believe should take out this this uh, terrorist general that uh, has done nothing but chant death to America. He is not uh, going around the world uh, on a goodwill tour. He is going around trying to make sure that uh, American interests are put at risk and come under attack. And so the president not only made the right decision, but it was a precision decision, just like the precision strike that took him out, uh, the general out. This was a precise Nice, uh, measured response that is getting the desired results. It, it is also empowering the youth of Iran to speak up and know that freedom is uh, theirs to grasp. And, and hopefully uh, uh, some in the mainstream media will see uh, and start covering the, the actual protesters that are there on the streets of Tehran and other places right now, uh, instead of just covering the protest against the president of the United States. Uh, but I appreciate you bringing it up. I stand with him. I was with General uh, Mark Milley and Secretary Esper just the other evening. Uh, both of them are 100 percent confident that we made the right decision and that the president's decisive action actually saved American lives. That's I, I can't thank you enough for being on the show. I, I always give everybody an opportunity to talk to our listeners directly. I mean, is there a message that you have for our we have so many listeners across this country, a message about this upcoming election, a message about where America is right now, the importance of us standing on principle and being that beacon of light for people all over the globe that are fly, that are basically fighting for freedom and liberty and fleeing tyranny. 
Well, once again, uh, he, you know, freedom is never free. Uh, you know, President Reagan said that, uh, you know, many years ago that freedom was never free. And we know that because of the sacrifice of the military men and women who have fought and some have died for our freedoms. But, but it's also freedom is something that has to be talked about and supported from 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue to the Capitol Hill and in between. And when we do, we see people in places like Taiwan and Hong Kong and Tehran. Uh, all of a sudden, they start to say that the freedom that is uniquely ours here in the United States of, the, uh, of America may be available to them, and we need to stand beside those freedom fighters. And we finally have a president who's willing to do that. Well, I can't thank you enough, uh, Congressman Meadows. It's always such a pleasure to talk with you. It's it's wonderful to have you on this show. And no matter what you do and where you go, whether that's 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue or whether you stay in North Carolina, you are always welcome to come back on this show and talk to us, preferably with breaking news about 1600 <laughs> Pennsylvania Avenue. <laughs> but but I'll take but I'll take just about anything. <laughs> well, thanks, Sarah. Thank you for always bringing the truth to the American people and uh, being one who's willing to invest the time to get to the truth. It's been a pleasure joining you, and so God bless you and God bless America. Thank you so much. From your mouth to God's ears. I hope you learned something from that. I know I sure did. Listening to Congressman Meadows talk made me think about the principles that we live by right here in this country, that we stand on those principles. And I talk about this all the time. We don't need to put boots on the ground. We need to show through our own actions what we stand for. We stand for liberty, freedom, and for the freedom of other people in other parts of the world. We honor that. That's why people in Hong Kong are holding up the American flag. That's why we see people in Iran on the streets, on the streets, the youth of Iran. Think about this. While we're here, you know, I mean, trying to get through our everyday life, a 2020 election, of course, we have so many young activists, millennials. But think about what the young people of Iran are fighting for, what the youth are fighting for in Hong Kong, in Taiwan, across the board in China. They're fighting for the right to just speak without being imprisoned by their government, without being shot in the streets, just like we saw in Iran over the weekend, a young woman getting shot in the leg for being out there and protesting her government's downing of a civilian aircraft carrying Iranian and Canadian passengers on board and Ukrainian passengers. Think about that, what we can do in this nation that we can protest and talk about our president and, you know, not have to fear that our doors are going to be kicked in and that we'll be sent to some type of concentration camp or prison for that. So I think Mark Meadows said it perfectly clear about why this is important, about why our election is so important this 2020, and about why we need to hold people accountable who weaponize the system for political purposes. This doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat. This is about America. This is about who we are as a nation, about fighting for our Constitution. And that's what Meadows is talking about. Holding people accountable who violated the law, right? Holding them accountable. That's why I want to go over, Jenny, with some of these um, comments on Twitter. And by the way, I... I, I didn't say it in the intro. I usually do. But this time I was just so excited about Mark Meadows being on the show. But I want you, 
I want you to follow me at sarahacarter.com. That's sarahacarter.com, where you can see our latest breaking stories. Been breaking a lot of news on the site this past week. You can also follow me on Twitter at sarahcarterdc. And please, when you listen to The Sarah Carter Show, I'm here talking to you from Radio America. I want you to go on and I want you to give us a five-star rating, subscribe, rate us on your podcast app, let us know what you think, let us know what you want. We're here to listen to you. This is, this is a platform for the American people, for American voices. I want to be able to deliver your voice to the rest of our country. This isn't just about me. That's why I'm interviewing people that I believe have changed our country, will change our country in the future, or have a message to deliver. And hopefully it's a message of hope about how great this nation is and how lucky we are to be here. So right now, I'm going to go to Twitter, and Jenny is going to read some pretty awesome Twitter comments and uh, some questions that you all may be having about the uh, selection of this David Chris guy that Mark Meadows talked about uh, to oversee any reforms over at the uh, secret court, the Fisk court. Uh, I know that a lot of you have been very concerned about that, just as just as I have. So, Jenny, what's what's the first uh, Twitter there? Okay, so I have Ardith here. He says, I agree with Nunez. It's more of the same. A whole lot of cleaning out in our government needs to be done. We need some fresh faces in the FBI. Fresh faces in the FBI. I couldn't agree with you more, Ardith. I, I agree. We need to see some significant changes or we can't trust the system again. What's the next one, Jenny? So speaking of changing the FBI, Benito says... Doesn't the title director of FBI, Devin Nunes, sound beyond great? Oh, my gosh. I never thought of that. Benito, FBI director, Devin Nunes. Imagine that. Boy, the people on the left will be scurrying outside of the bureau building. And you know what? Maybe that's what we need. Maybe we just need to clean house. That's interesting. I should ask Devin uh, Nunes the next time I see him what he thinks about becoming the new FBI director. Round of applause for Benito. Very yeah, nice. Yeah, Benito. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. <laughs> right, Adam. Okay, shout out to this guy for his name. Um, at Big Papa Jacks says, Ooh. hashtag end FISA now. It's an affront to liberty. End it, Devin Nunes. Look, I think that's a good one to end on here because... There are so many people saying just that. You know, this is a tool that was supposed to be utilized by our intelligence community, and it has, and it has been, to target particular people that are a threat to this nation, to be able to spy on people that are actively working to target either U.S. assets or American citizens or target our nation, um, even enemy state actors, Russians, Chinese. But when the system has been utilized, to target American citizens, and to actively try to coup an American president. Because let me tell you, folks, that's exactly what happened here. They used the system against a duly elected president of the United States, and that is beyond unacceptable. That just breaks the fabric of our nation. Whether that's Donald Trump, and it was, or even if it would have been Hillary Clinton— if it would have been President Barack Obama, I would be saying the exact same thing and I would be fighting to expose those people that did it. This is about our country and salvaging our country for the future. I want you to know 
how much I appreciate you, how much I respect you, the American people that are living the American dream, standing on principle and spreading this beacon of hope across the world. This is who we are. We are explorers. We are adventurers. We are changers. And we are willing to face the facts. Follow me on SarahACarter.com. Again, follow me on SarahACarter.com and on Twitter at SarahCarterDC. I love you, America. I look forward to being back with you soon. The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360-degree sound. So you hear studio sound on the road. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. When people ask, Regina, do you like to compete? I say, bring it on. Those are the moments that drive you to achieve more. And when you win, you keep reaching higher. To me, that's what the Cadillac Escalade represents. It's always evolving in technology, in design, everything. Because success isn't the end. It's just the first step to what comes next. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. The available AKG 36-speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360-degree sound. Not just here or here, but everywhere. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. The in-dash OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving.